0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26? It's a, it's a sermon entitled, Try, Try Again, with a question mark, and you'll see why in just a moment. And it raises an interesting question for us. And the question is this Was there ever a time that Jesus failed? Was there ever a time that Jesus failed? A time in which he tried to do something but was unsuccessful and had to put into practice that old saying that maybe you heard growing up, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And at first glance, it seems like that's what happened in today's text, that Jesus failed the first time in his attempt to heal a man who was blind, and then had to try a second time, but is that really what happened? So let's find out together, and I wish there was a better way to do this, because I know you were just standing But we're going to stand again because we have great reverence and respect for the Word of God as I read it. And plus, it's just good for you to keep getting up and down, right? (laughs) Keeps you awake. Mark 8.22 says this, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Let's pray together. Father, um, I thank you for this passage. It seems like the more I dug into it, the more I just really appreciate what's going on here and got excited about what it is that you want to say to us today. So thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you for just how awesome and powerful it is. And I just pray that you would unleash that power in our lives today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So You may be seated. So what do you think? Did Jesus fail in his first attempt to heal the blind man and then have to try again, or was there something else going on? The answer to the question begins in verse 22, which gives us the setting, the setting. The first point in our outline today is the setting. And verse 22 reads, "...and they came to Bethsaida." Now, we need to review just for a moment where Jesus and his disciples were before they came to this point. Uh, Before this, if we back up a little ways, they were in the Decapolis, a series of 10 Greek towns where Jesus um, healed the man who was deaf, and then also where Jesus fed the 4,000. And then they went across the Sea of Galilee to a place called Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha here identified in blue was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it's where the Pharisees demanded a sign from Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to them? He said, no, I don't work that way. I don't respond to your demands for a sign. No sign will be given to you. And then they set out on the Sea of Galilee again, this time traveling northeast to our destination today, the town of Bethsaida. Here identified in red. And while on the boat, something very important happened, something that is key to understanding the meaning of today's text. Um, Jesus was attempting to have a spiritual conversation with them about the meaning of the bread and the feeding of the 4,000 and to get to the deeper spiritual significance of it. And, man, the disciples just weren't understanding. They were struggling. They, they were fixated on their need for physical bread. They were hungry, and they were, hey, we didn't bring any bread. Now what? And Jesus is saying, no, you guys, you're not listening. I'm talking about something much more significant than physical bread. I'm trying to show you your need for the spiritual bread. And the disciples demonstrated a lack of spiritual understanding. So much so that Jesus said in Mark eight eighteen, he said, having eyes do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then just a couple of verses later, he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And so here's where the setting is really important for our text today. Listen carefully Jesus used physical sight as a metaphor for spiritual understanding. Jesus used physical sight as a metaphor for spiritual understanding. And so we have this thing that happens in the physical where Jesus is going to heal a blind man, but again, he's going to use this as an opportunity to teach a spiritual truth. And so those without spiritual understanding, like the Pharisees, were spiritually blind. Those who understood spiritual things had eyes to see and hear. The problem was at this point in their development... The disciples were not seeing clearly, only partially. Are you with me? The disciples were not seeing clearly, but only partially. They were kind of understanding what Jesus was teaching, but not totally. They were only seeing partially. And so this is the setting, and it really is the key to understanding what's going on in our text today. Well, from um, there we go to the blind man. It is point number two in our outline. The blind man And the last half of verse 22 reads, And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now, where are my folks whose eyes aren't working so well these days? That's a lot of us, right? Um, Even as I get older, I'm like, man, I'm struggling to see that. And for some of you, you know, this is fairly minor and can be corrected with glasses or contacts or LASIK or something like that. For others of you, it's not so easy, is it? And your struggle with your eyesight, your visual impairment, it's a really big deal that impacts every aspect of your life. And I think it all reminds us that our eyesight is not something to be taken for granted. It's a great blessing. It's vitally important. And as you can imagine, to be blind in that day was especially difficult, so much so that a blind person was often helpless and reduced to begging. They had no other means of supporting themselves. And just as we saw with the man who was deaf, blindness also carried with it a a societal stigma. There was this belief that, man, if you're deaf or blind, what did you do to God to, to, to deserve that. And so you must have done something really bad to be in that particular state. And so those people, the blind and the deaf, were often treated as outcasts. Fortunately for this man, what did he have? He had some friends, friends who brought him to Jesus. And I think it, it challenges us with the question, how many people are out there just Desperate for a friend to bring them to Jesus. They may not come out and say it, but there are people out there just waiting, just waiting to be asked, just waiting for an invitation, just waiting for a connection I believe that there are far more of those kinds of people out there than we realize. You know, We talk ourselves into believing that, oh, in this post-Christian, post-church era, no one's interested in the gospel, no one's interested in church, no one's interested in truth. And so I think we hide behind that and we excuse ourselves for not reaching out. But I'm convinced that there are more people out there than we realize, desperate for a friend to bring them to Jesus. So will you step out in faith and obedience and be that friend? I think that's the question that we're confronted with. Will you be rejected at some point when you do that? Most likely. But for that one or two or three who respond affirmatively, oh, the life-changing possibilities, just as it was for this man who had friends who brought him to Jesus. And so I just urge you, I challenge you, and just nudge you a little bit to say, don't give up on reaching out. Don't give up on being that friend. How, do, how, well did Je- how did Jesus respond to this blind man? That's the third point in our outline, which is the first try. The first try. And that first part of verse 23 reads, And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on them. Now this should sound a little bit familiar, right? What does this remind you of? 2 weeks ago when Jesus healed the deaf man in Mark 7 it's interesting if we put Mark 733 up there it says and taking him aside from the crowd privately he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue so very very similar and now in 823 our verse for today and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on them we have similar elements in both miracles and these elements in both cases tell us a lot about jesus and so let's look at each of them individually first jesus ministers to the blind man by taking him aside it says he took him out of the village away from the crowds and we have to ask well why did he do that Why did Jesus take him aside? And we're going to use uh, some of these fun pictures like flannel graph. Remember flannel graph back in the day? Um, Jesus wanted to communicate to the deaf man in chapter 7 and now to the blind man in chapter 8, value and worth. Remember, this man who throughout his life had been told that he wasn't even worth messing with, people stayed away from him, they ostracized this man. This man would now receive personal Undivided attention from Jesus Christ. And I think that's awesome. Here's how that matters to us Jesus desires to take each of us aside and engage us personally. Have you lost sight of that? Have you lost sight of the fact that Jesus wants to know you and for you to know him personally, intimately? Jesus wants to give you his personal undivided attention, communicating to you, as he did to the deaf man and to the blind man, your worth in his sight. Some of you may have come, you know, just kind of stumbling in here today and feeling like you're not worth very much. What we see here in this story today is that, oh, Jesus has great sees great value in you as he did with the deaf man, as he did with the blind man. Appropriately, and I think there's an interesting parallel here, this is a key principle of the Kids Hope program, right? What do we do in Kids Hope? Well, we literally take kids aside out of the classroom and we give them personal, undivided attention, just as Jesus did with the deaf man and with the blind man and just as Jesus does with us, communicating value and worth. And as I hear stories of you Kids Hope mentors of, man, those kids just glow when they meet with their mentors and when they talk about their mentors. And we'll be even challenging you next week with a few more goals for our church's relationship with the Kids Hope Ministry. And I want to plant that seed with you today and say, man, Franklin Elementary School needs more mentors. And it's such a simple thing to be able to spend an hour with a kid, to take them aside, out of the classroom, give them personal undivided attention, and communicate to them the value and the worth that Jesus sees them. So I thought that was just an interesting crossover. Next, Jesus ministers to the blind man by spitting, right, of all things. And if you go back to the text, it actually says that Jesus spit on the man's eyes. Gross. Why on earth would he do that? Well, as we mentioned two weeks ago, the prevailing belief in that day was that spit actually had some healing qualities about it. They viewed it maybe a little bit differently than we do. And so when Jesus spit on the man's eyes, he was actually communicating to the blind man, "Hey, get ready. Prepare yourself cuz healing's coming." And you think about what it would have been like to be blind and then all of a sudden see, you know? So I think Jesus was actually preparing him for that a little bit for his sight to be restored. And here's how this matters to us. Jesus desires to engage us in our real life muck and mess. You know, when you think about it, spitting it's an exceedingly earthy thing to do, right? I mean, it doesn't get much earthier than spitting. And so when we put it in context here, God spit. God spit, a very human activity, which shouldn't shock us in the least because what does John 1.14 say to us? It says the Word, Jesus, became what? Became flesh. He became one of us on earth. And where was Jesus born? In a barn? With all the accompanying earthy sights, sounds, and smells, Jesus moved fully into our human existence, even to the point of God spitting, right? Reminding us that Jesus desires to engage us in our real-life muck and mess. And our lives are pretty messy, aren't they? We have our stuff and sometimes we, you know, we rationalize and think, well, I, I, can't, I can't go to church, I can't be involved, I can't talk to Jesus, I can't even because of my stuff. And Jesus says, hey, I'll deal with your stuff. I'm willing to engage you in your stuff. He meets us where we are, but listen carefully, he loves us too much to let us stay where we are, right? You know, a lot of Christians these days will say, well, love is just accepting people for who they are and where they are, period. Jesus says, no, 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 my love is greater than that. My love accepts you where you are, but I love you too much to leave you where you are. God has something better for you than your muck and your mess. And anyway, um, I think as, as Jesus spit, again, it reminds us of an earthy Jesus who enters into our muck and our mess. Next, Jesus ministers to the blind man by touching, just as he did with the deaf man. Why did touch matter so much? Well, as was the case with those who were deaf, as we said earlier, the blind were social outcasts who were overlooked and neglected. And guess what? Nobody touched them. Nobody touched them. And, and, you know, the sad thing is, you know who especially didn't touch those folks? The religious leaders of the day. Those are the ones who especially wouldn't touch them because they were convinced that, well, if they did, they would become spiritually, ceremonially, ritually unclean. But then here's Jesus Jesus says, I'll touch you. I'll touch you. And as we see throughout his ministry, touching was frequently an aspect to his healing, Um, even touching lepers. Now, Jesus could have just said a word, right? Be healed. He could have done that, but he was out of his way to touch because it communicates, once again, value and worth and love and compassion and all these things that Jesus is and wants to be to us. Here's how that matters to us. Jesus desires to engage us intimately. Jesus desires to engage us intimately, just as he did the deaf man, just as he did the blind man. Jesus wants to engage us by touching us. So great is his love and compassion for us. Well, how did it go for Jesus? Taking him aside, spitting and touching, surely the blind man was healed, right? Well, as we know, not not quite so fast because it says in verse 23, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And to that I would say, uh-oh, uh-oh, That's not right. That's not how this was supposed to go. Something has gone haywire in the healing. I love this picture. Um, You know, it just kind of gives us a humorous idea. Um, Walking trees. Now, some people think that because the man had an idea of what trees and people looked like, that he must not have been blind from birth, but had lost his sight some point later in his life. It's possible, Uh, But the bottom line is that this man, at this point, isn't seeing clearly. He's only seeing partially. Now, in context, based on our setting, does that remind you of anyone else? Is there anyone else in the story who's only seeing partially and not seeing clearly? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples prior to this passage, where they were focusing on physical bread and not spiritual things. Jesus said, have you eyes Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, do you not yet understand? As far as Jesus was concerned, it's not only this blind man who is only seeing partially, his disciples are only seeing partially. Jesus is using this as a teachable moment to do more than to do a physical healing. He wants to talk about the spiritual healing of the vision of the disciples. Well, we see this vividly illustrated next week, not to give away the punchline to next week's sermon, but one moment in next week's passage, Peter will receive the greatest compliment from Jesus regarding Peter's spiritual understanding. Um, Peter, Peter in this passage, is going to say, You are the Christ! And Jesus is so happy. Yay, Peter, you're getting it. But then literally, just moments later, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the necessity of the crucifixion. And then in Mark 8.32, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. And you know, you know what Jesus said to Peter, right? Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Peter went from the highest of highs in his understanding to the lowest of lows in revealing the fact that um, Peter's only seeing partially. So we'll talk more about that next week. Jesus didn't leave the blind man with partial eyesight. And that's the fourth point in our outline, which is the second try. The second try. Verse 25 reads, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. No more trees walking around. He now saw people walking around just as he should. And here's something very interesting. This is the only recorded miracle of Jesus that took place in stages. And I think we're starting to understand the reason why. Because Jesus was doing more than a physical healing. He was teaching a spiritual lesson. Now, does that word immediate, the fact that this miracle was not immediate, does that ring a bell for anybody in the book of Mark? What's Mark's favorite word? Immediately, right? If we go back to euthus in the Greek, used 59 times in the New Testament, 41 of those in the gospel of Mark. But as we see here, there was nothing immediate about this miracle. It was progressive in stages, two tries, which Then let's return to our earlier question. Did Jesus fail in his attempt to heal the blind man and then have to try again? Answer, clearly, no. Jesus used this progressive miracle of physical eyesight to teach his disciples and us a lesson about the progressive miracle of spiritual eyesight. And we want to talk just for a moment about this progressive miracle of spiritual eyesight. Theologically, there are three phases of our spiritual eyesight. You know this. You just need to put the, the dots together. Three phases of our spiritual eyesight. The first phase is regeneration. Regeneration. This is where Jesus initially heals our spiritual eyes. I once was blind... But now I see the blinders come off, we see our sin, we see our need for a Savior, and we respond in repentance, turning from our sin and turning to Jesus alone for forgiveness. And when this happens, an amazing legal transaction takes place called justification, where Jesus takes our sin, what do we get? His righteousness. Pretty good trade, right? Actually, it's the best deal ever. It's why the gospel is the best news ever. But let me ask you this. How is our spiritual eyesight, our spiritual understanding at this point? Not fantastic, is it? We've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot of growing to do. We don't see things the way that we should always. In fact, our spiritual eyesight, we could say, is only partial. It is not clear. Again, does that sound familiar? Our spiritual eyesight is kind of like this guy's physical eyesight, right? I I, kind of get it. The disciples kind of get it. We see better than we did, but we still don't see clearly. And so the second phase of our spiritual eyesight is known as sanctification. Jesus progressively heals our eyes. You know, the more that we spend time in God's Word and in God's presence, like the disciples did, Jesus does this work of improving our spiritual eyesight. Trees start to look more like men as our understanding of the things of God grows and grows. Sanctification does tend to be progressive, a process, like it was for the man in our story, with his physical eyesight. And our spiritual eyesight will never be perfectly clear until phase three, which is our glorification where Jesus ultimately heals our spiritual eyes. Now, 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve describes it this way. It says, For now, everybody say, for now. <laughs> we see in a mirror dimly. That's simply saying, hey, you guys can see partially, but you don't see the whole deal. You don't see perfectly clearly yet. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What does it mean by then? Then refers to us being in the presence of Jesus, either through the rapture or through the, living, the rapture of the living or the resurrection of the dead, at which point our bodies will be glorified, and not only will our physical eyesight be perfect, our spiritual sight will finally be perfect and not partial. But for now, we kind of struggle together as we see in a mirror dimly or partially, So again, there are three phases of our spiritual eyesight. Regeneration, Jesus initially heals our spiritual eyes. Sanctification, Jesus progressively heals our spiritual eyes. Glorification, Jesus ultimately heals our spiritual eyes. Let's finish out the text with point four in our outline, which is the prohibition. Verse 26 says, "...and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village." which is yet another point of connection with the healing of the deaf man. In, in chart form, it looks like this. you know, we got In both cases, the man was taken aside. There was spit in both. He touched him in both. And lastly, he charged each of them not to tell anyone, which raises the question in this story, why did Jesus tell the man not to enter the village of Bethsaida? I mean, it seems like it would be a great strategy of Jesus to let him loose, go tell people, and have lots of people brought to see Jesus. But Jesus says, no, that's not what needs to happen. Why? Because of Matthew eleven twenty one. 21. Listen carefully. These are harsh words. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, now remember, Tyre and Sidon were these Pagan, Gentile, just rude, as far as Jews were concerned, really nasty towns. But if, if the works that had been done in Chorazin and Bethsaida were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Apparently, Bethsaida had been exposed to lots of miracles, lots of revelation, lots of evidence that Jesus was the Christ. And they did not believe. They rejected Jesus. And so Bethsaida becomes a picture of those who have rejected Jesus and chosen to remain in spiritual blindness. Bethsaida is a picture of those who have rejected Jesus and chosen to remain in spiritual blindness. And now tragically, listen carefully, their opportunity for belief had passed. I hope that gets somebody's attention today. For here's the truth, the day will come for all of us when the opportunity to get right with God will be passed. Do you hear that? We don't know when that will be. For some of you, it could be today. We're not guaranteed the next breath. We're not guaranteed the next day. We don't know. So many people think, oh, when I get closer to the end, I'll get right with God. You don't know when the end is going to be. And even worse, as you maintain that kind of thinking and you reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, your heart becomes hardened. Harder and harder and harder. So the message, the lesson from Bethsaida is, don't wait. Do it now. Time is short. So in our outline... We have the setting, the blind man, the first try, the second try, the prohibition. Now we switch to application, ask the question, how should we then live? And I'm going to answer that question with another question today. And that other question is this, was this teaching of Jesus meant to be a rebuke or an encouragement to his disciples and to us? How many of you think it was a rebuke? Raise your hand. No? How many of you think it was purely encouragement? Raise your hand. Man, lots of you asleep apparently too still, okay? Um, well, I'm going to weenie out and say I think it's both. It's both a rebuke and an encouragement. Um, the rebuke is this because again, Jesus is just like he did with Peter get behind me, Satan. That's a, that's, that's a hard word, Jesus said to him when Peter's not seeing clearly. I think the rebuke is this disciples, church, get growing. Get growing. Remember, the second phase of our spiritual eyesight is sanctification, where Jesus progressively heals our spiritual eyes. That's the phase where we as believers find ourselves today. And the fact of the matter is, we have a very real role to play in that phase. We have some say as to how well we are growing and how well we are able to see spiritually. Hebrews 5.12 is a rebuke to believers like you and me who were not doing their part. Listen to Hebrews 5.12. Oof. This is a hard one. The writer of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And then verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That stings. You ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be off the milk and on to solid food. That might describe many of you today. I don't care how many years it has been since you prayed a prayer Where are you now in regard to your spiritual eyesight, your spiritual growth, your spiritual development, your sanctification? You've been a believer for many years, but you've only dabbled in discipleship. And Jesus says, hey, I love you, but you ought to be much further along than you are right now. And consequently, your spiritual eyesight isn't really that much better than it was when you first believed. That is not God's plan for you. God's plan is for us to grow and for our eyesight to improve. And one of the things I love about this time of year, fall, as we move into a new season, is a perfect time to establish new priorities and new disciplines for spiritual growth. So, whether that's a discovery class, a connect group, a D group, or a new place of service, I think the message for us today is get growing do something about this how tragic it would be to look back at the, from the end of our life you know as we reach that point of the end of our lives and look back and say wow i wasted a lot of time i did a lot of other stuff that didn't help in the my sanctification my growth in grace and so i do believe there's a rebuke here for the disciples and for us it is get growing and then there's an encouragement and the encouragement is to be confident to be confident. Because you know what? We can also be hard on ourselves and say, oh man, I did it again? Or I should be further along than I am? Is it, am I ever going to get this right? And you know the answer to that question, am I ever going to get this right? You know what the answer is? Yeah, you will. How do I know? Because Philippians 1.6 says this, and I am sure of this. You talk about confidence. I am sure of this, that he who began a good in work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For you see, just as Jesus completed the work of perfecting the eyesight of the blind man, Jesus will also complete the work of perfecting our spiritual eyesight. And so while we may momentarily grow frustrated at our progress, we are to be encouraged today that is what? When does it all come together? Glorification. Jesus ultimately heals our spiritual eyes. And that's a work that's guaranteed in Romans 8.30. It says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I love how it speaks of glorification. You know, It's a done deal. It's done. And because of that, this lesson on eyesight from Jesus is not only a rebuke, but it's also an encouragement. So get growing do something with this. As you enter into this new season together, don't be guilty of being the, the, the partial eyesight of the disciples and Jesus saying, are you, are you going to get it? Do something with this. But then number two, be confident. Because glorification is coming and the good work that he has begun. He will be faithful to complete. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for using physical things to teach us spiritual realities. Open our ears and our eyes wide today. God, I, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would move in the hearts of people here today to say, you know what, um, I've wasted a lot of time. And I need to get serious. The, the, the time for dabbling in discipleship has passed. God, there's nothing more important. Nothing more important than knowing you. Nothing more important than growing in you. Forgive us for the so many times we've put other things as a higher priority than this. Good things, but not the best thing by any means. God, give us that picture of what it is gonna be like at the end of our lives when we say, oh, I regret fill in the blank. I regret fill in the blank. God, we have the opportunity today for today to be the day where we put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of dabbling in my sanctification. I'm tired of dabbling in my discipleship. It needs to be primary. And so God, give us a direction in that, we pray in Jesus' name.